hey, it's been a while. I think sometimes we need to take a knee to actually like really reorganize our thoughts and finding quiet to let our hearts speak. So over the past few months, I have in a way been, um, I wouldn't say hibernating as much as like incubating and thinking about what my purpose is and how I want to share that and um, in a way that is of service as opposed to like a need to be seen. Because I have learned in my journey that it's mine. And while I've shared so much in real time, it was for me to learn the lessons so that I could then distill them and then serve them as opposed to just sharing them in real time, which was cathartic and invigorating and helpful because in so many ways it was my therapy. If you followed my blog for a while, I was sharing my story in real time. But then it was really about like recalibrating, reconnecting, actually like seeing the lessons that I learned, all of the teachings and cohesively packaging them in a way that I could teach others. And I believe that that's an ever working progress, work in progress. And simultaneously, um, we lived in, we live in a digital age and it is challenging to, to retreat, to take a step back, to not want to create all the time, especially if you're a creator and I'm a creator. So if you followed my story shared via blog for two years plus started writing a blog, probably like four years ago, When I started, I didn't actually know my truth. I didn't understand my story. And I was in New York City for 11 years. I moved there to go to culinary school and then worked at Food & Wine Magazine, went in-house with a chef, became brand director, was opening restaurants globally around the world, felt unfulfilled like many of us do. Although I had a really big role, everything externally looked pretty and perfect, but I was bored. And so I would fill that boredom with like dating or you know, socializing or going out to drink or lots of working out. And um, I knew that I had a deep purpose. I didn't know what it was. So finally, I kind of went to the drawing board after months of, of beating myself up over it and realizing that I wanted to help others as I had been helped. And that was through physicality, boxing and yoga. So every day, you know, since I was 20, I was waking up, gloves on, putting my boxing gloves on to hit a heavy bag to remember how strong I was why was I feeling weak I I didn't know at the time and then I was finding my yoga mat you know since I was 15 my longest commitment to date to sort of surrender to find softness boxing to me was never about boxing it was about strength it was about resilience it was about not giving up and yoga wasn't about flexibility you know on the physical stance except of course a bit it was it was about surrendering getting lost in my breath, becoming open in my body and my heart. And so putting these two things together, creating a modality that channeled balance, duality in mind, body, soul, was what I was here to serve at the time. So I opened my first studio, Box and Flow, on Bond Street in New York City. I never taught a class before. Uh, It started as words on a piece of paper, dark light, fight, flow, masculine, feminine, grit, soft, really about the duality all of us have, you know, this divine masculine, this divine feminine, these energetic qualities that create the human experience. And I put that together in a class, in a room with heavy bags, um, 
with the music to go in tandem so that your body was moving to the beat, to the breath, with the breath, with the body. So suddenly, you know, nine rounds, no breaks, no breaks in life. The only thing that you really had to commit to was not dropping your hands, never giving up on you. And at some point in the journey, you know, the fight becomes flow. The punches become a dance. You start to work with you. You start to move with you as opposed to against you. Out of your head, into your body. Because it's typical, like we show up for something and if we're in our head or in you know, the internal playlist, it's like you're not good enough, you're not strong enough, what's wrong with you? You know, that, that modern day ticker tape of thoughts that can be overwhelming. For me, the best way to like shut that down, shut that off was to get into my body, but also to feel into how strong I was. So the fight became flow, the dark became light, the grit became soft, and after nine rounds in the heavy bag, gloves off, find your mat, 15-minute vinyasa flow, music completely changed from like Nirvana, Eminem, DMX, to like beautiful Bon Iver and, you know, um, Ella Fitzgerald, jazz, into silence and darkness, death, rebirth, begin again. So I started Box and Flow with this deep, deep knowing that only we can choose ease over resistance, choose heart over ego, choose love over fear. We have to move through that, that heaviness so that it can become light, shake it off our bodies, sweat it out of our bodies, get it out of our energetic field. So I did that, and I did that with this, this ever-flowing chain of mantras. So I would say, flow through the fight. And I would tell myself the same thing. Face yourself to free yourself. Everything you need is inside. And these were the, the words that were on the door of my studios, on the walls of my studios, all over my Instagram. You know, I would call them a livism. They would be you know, the phrase that I woke up thinking, thing I needed to remind myself of. And then I would share that with you and the world as just this cosmic note from the universe or what I've now understood was God really speaking through me so that I could remember that like, I got this, I got this. So I opened my second studio, 3,000 square feet in the heart of Soho three weeks before COVID shut down. And that was a big one. That was like this hump to get over. But at the same time, it was a lot of external energy too. Like, oh, a bigger studio, more money, more lights, more beauty. And like, that's what works in New York. And that's what the world wants and Instagram moments. And it was almost like I was going through the motions, autopilot on to just get to the next phase, get to the next step, like dying to be seen. The day before I opened my second studio, my grandmother died, my sweet, sweet honey. So I flew home for her funeral. I was at a wedding when it happened. And I went to the funeral the next day and I left directly from the cemetery to open my second space. Ironically, as I mentioned, it was only open for three weeks before the world shut down. And with the world shutting down, it was actually the first time I was able to slow down. It was the first time I gave myself the grace to realize the fight that I was carrying for so long, the need to prove, the need to be seen, the deep feeling of unworthy, inadequacy, insecurity, 
So I closed the spaces. I moved to Florida, to Miami Beach, my parents' house for three months, you know, while the world figured itself out. I started teaching on social media and Zoom and all the things and I had to lay off my whole staff and I felt so responsible for them and was heartbroken in the same time. It felt like I had been training my whole life for this, like to teach other people how to flow through their fight. That no matter what was shut down, no matter what was shut off, that if you found that resilience within yourself, you would be okay. And I had faith in that. And so I kept going. And after the three months and like really like loving up on my family, really finding love in the time of Corona, which I wrote about that like was as simple as like my dad bringing coffee to my mom every morning, just, just the beauty and suburbia and singing to the dogs and making dinner and feeling love and not being alone because I'd been alone for so long not being alone meaning like being home with my parents gave me this reframe and I took that love back with me to New York City to try and reopen my business hired a COO like this wonderful woman Kristen to digitize and monetize and la-di-da but it was like still like drinking from a fire hose like crawling uphill like all this resistance all this fight and business wise but also personally this this unknowing just feeling something was wrong and I had always been searching for a deeper sense of self be it through like physicality or yoga like a deep you know sense of spirituality but not really knowing what that meant and then I start hearing like words around plant medicine or psychedelics or mushrooms and I'd never done drugs before you know I loved a gin martini 50 50 gin vermouth and I wasn't great at drinking meaning lightweight and my body was pretty clean because I was pretty active and I'm very sensitive and highly intuitive so I something in me always knew that like drugs weren't meant for partying they were potentially meant to save me I didn't know that at the time. So my studios were still set shut down and my body felt shut down, this stuckness. I'd always had like weird digestive issues, but like who doesn't? Um, and was always trying to like, you know, hack the next way to be thin or feel good. And as much as I like knew how to feed myself and fuel myself, I was dissociated. I would get really hungry because I would work out so hard and I would, you know, grab a piece of sugar or, you know, be protein deficient without really even knowing what that meant. I was just going through the motions. Um, And suddenly I started leaning in and listening to the signs around me, to the voices, to the patterns. And I was getting a colonic because my gut was stuck, my body was stuck. And the woman that was giving me the colonic, Cassie, mentioned... Bufo, toad medicine, and I had heard it once before on a date with an Australian chef and an omakase, best meal I've ever had. This place called Adamix in New York City is Korean omakase. There was like 12 people at the table and we were like making out. And he's like, I lick the toad. And I was like, okay, dude, you're weird. Let's kiss. Either way, that was a year before I actually heard it. They say the plant medicine call you, calls you when you're ready. So the plant medicine called me. And I was ready. I hadn't been ready until I was. So Cassie mentioned it. She also mentioned that the shaman was away. He's never in town. And 
I got home. I looked at his business card on my coffee table. I took a breath and I texted him and he texted right back and said, I'm just back from a five month sabbatical. Are you here this weekend? And I was like, yep. And that was the moment I think I committed to like changing, even could say saving my life. So was I scared? Yes, I had no idea what the toad medicine was before, like besides Googling it and seeing it changed Mike Tyson's life and, you know, the psychoactive 20-minute toad experience that blah, blah, blah. And I was careful not to do too much research because when I dig in too deep, like I could get scared or whatever it is, I... I like to figure it out and experience things myself. Same as like reading a restaurant review or a movie review. It's like, no, I just show up. Like everybody has their opinion on everything. And so I wanted to make my own opinion. And this was a big thing to make an opinion on. When I talk about psychedelics or plant medicine, I want to be very clear. I'm not recommending them. I do not recommend them. Everybody has their own journey, their own story. And these are active molecules that shouldn't be played with. I also believe in deeply trusting intuition. And I was divinely led to this molecule for many reasons um and so i showed up for it dmt or it's 5-meo-dmt dmt is the active ingredient in ayahuasca um this is a 20-minute psychoactive experience it promotes quote-unquote ego death it is called the god molecule um the truth of the matter is it's like you smoke it in many ways you die your ego dies it sort of disintegrates hardness or all of the protective layers that we've we've put on ourselves you know to uh protect ourselves in this world because things happen i didn't know that i was protecting myself i thought that i was open and loving and all of that but what it showed me was otherwise like the amount of baggage i was carrying that was sort of protecting my heart for good reason the issue was it didn't show me why. So my experience, I showed up for the toad. You know, all of the magic started happening. So for days before, um, I started seeing like visions of Joaquin Phoenix. Didn't know why. I showed up to the toad. The shaman was a spitting image of Joaquin Phoenix. Um, I had this experience in the Chelsea Hotel in Janice Joplin's old apartment. I blew out my hair because if I was going to show up for the toad or wanted it to show up for me, I was going to show up for the toad. And you say a prayer before sort of smoke it. I don't really smoke anything. So like I started coughing. I fell back into the abyss. I felt like my brain fractals start crystallizing and I surrendered. And in that surrendering, I revisited places and people from my past. And it was such a fast experience that like Nothing really made sense, but I grieved and I cried and I laughed and I grieved, you know, people's deaths that I hadn't grieved before, hadn't fully allowed myself to feel the depth of that hurt. People in my life that are no longer here, relationships have shifted and I felt a separation from them. The medicine also is like a chakra clearing mechanism. So I felt literally my crown chakra, my third eye, my heart, my throat, my solar plexus, my gut, my sacrum, my root, almost like clearing out this energy, particularly mostly my solar plexus, which is like right um, like in the ribs below the heart. And the color for that is yellow. And it also is like the self-confidence center. And I found myself clutching it the whole time because it was almost where I was most deficient, like holding on to this part of me that felt 
wounded without knowing why. So after the 20 minutes sort of came out of it, woke up and uh, felt this surge of energy and also this mass confusion of like, what the fuck? But like God exists, God is real, holy shit. There is a realm, many realms well beyond us and I just experienced one of them. And I'm gonna say this again, I don't recommend psychedelics or plant medicine. Particularly don't recommend starting here. In many ways, 5-MeO-DMT is known as like the, the tantamount experience, the, the ultimate. So you work your way up to that. In my experience, me starting there was really about cracking open this incredible shell of um, protection that I was carrying. This ego death to begin, which is what sort of allowed me to melt into the rest of my journey. So friends were calling and the two people I told that I, you know, check in on me if you don't hear me, et cetera. This was a pretty rash thing to do. It took longer than expected, but at some point I checked in, I was on my way home, walking down 7th Avenue, grabbed like dairy-free chocolate at lilac and a pumpkin tempeh bowl from wild ginger, extra peanut sauce. If you know what that is or are in New York City, get it. More so to say that like nourishment to like just feed my body after a day of fasting and after going through a really, really intense experience. So I didn't sleep much that night because like the toad was toad was like wild and active in me and I had a lot to think about, but really no context. Because starting with such an extreme experience was um, confusing considering that like I saw all these people and these faces and these memories, but without any context. So there wasn't really a storyline. It was just like, boom, bam, here. So I was confused to say the least. And I didn't really have many people to talk to this about. And integration is really important when you do any of these experiences. When you do any experience, I believe, and even if you just go to a yoga class, like integrating the feelings, the thoughts that come through, um, creating that space to sit with what was as opposed to just going on to the next thing. But integration when it comes to plant medicine is really about like it's not about the experience as much as it is about taking what you've learned and integrating in your daily life. So imagine you just smoke this toad medicine, like all of this shit comes to the surface, but again, not having any context, um, which led me down the path of first resistance and then leaning into potentially considering that this or these molecules or psychedelics and plant medicine assisted therapy were the key to me learning myself more at the time I was dating a man who was involved in this world and part of me was very interested in in seeking some sort of answer because the first time we were intimate he he said what happened to you did something happen to you and I didn't know what that meant what do you mean did something happen to me you talking about and I became defensive naturally because he was older than me and I felt a lot of pressure to quote-unquote give him what he wanted because the wounded part of me that I didn't understand yet um, gave myself dissociated from my body because that's how I thought or that's what I thought men wanted from me was just my body so the first time we, we had sex I resisted him but I also left my body and he felt that Meaning, dissociation is when you're there physically, but you're not mentally or spiritually. 
And oftentimes we dissociate if it doesn't feel safe to be where we are. And dissociation is oftentimes a byproduct of a traumatic event, like the freeze response where your body freezes. So you're there, but you're not really there. You fly up to your mind. And so after he said this to me, and after I became defensive, I was like, hey, I just wasn't ready. I just, you know, a lot of women just do things because... And in that, like, what I didn't know yet was that, you know, my voice had been taken from me when I was young. I didn't know how to defend myself or to speak up for myself and say, like, no, I'm not ready for that. I just was, you know, be a good girl. So toad venison led me to a psilocybin and MDMA experience in a sound ceremony five days after the toad medicine that basically put me in a subconscious state because MDMA, it, it boosts the serotonin and dopamine in your mind and in your body. So your body feels safe to revisit what would have or could have been painful memories. That is why MDMA is in stage three trials um, with a nonprofit called MAPS for legalization in the country for the treatment of treatment-resistant PTSD. So you'll hear a lot about veterans using MDMA to um, heal, as well as assault trauma survivors, etc. So I went to the sound ceremony. We were dosed MDMA and psilocybin. Psilocybin mushrooms are straight from the earth. They are teacher plants. They take you where you need to go. I highly, highly, highly believe in the power of psilocybin. I think it is the most beautiful, depending on the strain and how your body reacts with it, but straight from Pachamama, Mother Earth. So I showed up to the ceremony, surrounded by 25 strangers. It was a sound ceremony, meaning that it was a journey accompanied by this uh, 40 instruments, by this incredible shaman who is beautiful in every way. But I didn't know that I had any trauma, so I just showed up. I was divinely held and led there. And before the ceremony, I I found my reflection in the mirror in the bathroom. And for the first time in my whole life, I saw beauty. And I said to myself, my soul said, like, Olivia, no matter what happens tonight, just remember how beautiful you are. So I heard that. Like, my soul speaking to me, God speaking through me. And I went back to my mat listened to the sermon. We all had our doses. After the the shaman was finished speaking, he said, now take out the medicine. And I took it out and I gulped it down. And he said, now hold it in your hands, which was ironic because I had already taken the dose. I was ready. And that led me into a seven, eight hour journey of facing my truth, the beginning of what I learned in that, in that first ceremony was a memory of a trauma at 17 when I was assaulted by someone that I knew who left me in a shower for dead. I've written about this. I've spoken about this. And this podcast is like episode. I'm not going to go into all of my trauma. I don't, I don't think that that's necessary any longer. Um, but imagine, you know, waking up at 33 and remembering for the first time being raped. So what do you do? Well, that's a great question. I had no idea what to do. I was surrounded by 24 strangers with a memory of being raped. And then this knowing of this gnosis that like, 
because of that assault, I dated something, someone else. It was like a very violent and traumatic relationship, but really about recognizing that the patterns in my life had been a, pro- been a product of an assault. And then the, the deeper I went with the medicine, you know, more ceremonies, the more memories I uncovered that traced back to a very young age and then realizing that for 30 years of my life, I had really lived in this traumatic state of autopilot, of protective mode, of layers of um, shielding my heart, of not feeling safe, of repeating my patterns and relationships, of always needing to prove myself, of sexualizing myself because that's what I thought that men wanted from me, of you know chasing my father's love because I never felt like um, you know I had it, even though I always had my dad's love, which I came to learn and heal, of um, feeling separate from everybody because. You know, I had these deep secrets of um, just really painful events from my past. And when you grow up with trauma like that in any way, it makes you feel separate because what trauma does is it separates you from yourself, from your heart, from your knowing, from being able to trust yourself. And so what I mentioned, I smoked the toad, then I did the sound ceremony, Uh, and then I walked down the path of two and a half plus three years of deep psychedelic assisted therapy, walking with the medicine with healers that showed up to hold me, then learning to hold myself and, uh, really dismantling a lifetime of unworthy inadequacy, learning myself to the depths of my soul, to the accuracy of ages and memories and places of why I didn't respond to certain things of why places scared me of why starting business was so easy for me or fighting or running marathons but like normal human connection was so hard why I never trusted anybody why I never trusted myself and in that work I you know died over and over and over and over again to be reborn in a way it was the hardest work I've ever done because it was really about sitting with myself, leaving everything I knew behind so that I could rebuild myself piece by piece to bring myself back to life, which is why I say like, learn yourself to love yourself because what trauma does is it separates you, like I said, from your heart. So you don't love yourself. So you're constantly your harshest critic. So you're rarely your biggest fan. So you feel like everything's against you or everyone's against you because that's the hardship, the pain of trauma. After this psilocybin MDMA journey, the first one when I first pulled up the the real first trauma, the next morning when I got home, it was 3 a.m., took an Uber alone, was scared out of my mind. As I said, I've written about this at length, but I, the only thing I knew how to do to try and like move through this was to literally move through it was to do what I had done every day since I was 15 since I was 20 was get up walk to my studio that was closed because it was COVID put on my gloves hit a boxing bag remember how strong I was sweat release flow yoga breathe inhale up dog down dog exhale come back home so I was walking up Spring Street past Balthazar if you know New York City the sun is shining down on me. I am crying hysterically at this point, naturally. Because how could you not cry after you remember a really tragic rape that changed the trajectory of your life? 
And I looked up the sun and I said, please, God, help me. Help me, just help me, help me, please. And as I rounded the bend on Lafayette past Jack's wife, Frida, to get to my studio, tap on my shoulder, the shaman from the night before was standing there and I fell into his arms. It was as if like my prayer to God was answered right away, someone to help me make sense of this, help me integrate, integrate, integrate the story that I had just remembered into my life so that I didn't feel like so separate any longer. So that was how my journey began. When I got to my studio and I saw the door again, said everything you need is inside. It was the door I took a photo of every day. Every day for four years when my studios were open, when they were closed, everything you need is inside. As if, again, it was this reminder from God through me, to me, of like trust yourself. And so I opened Pandora's box in his first two medicine ceremonies and then for three years kept going deeper, darker, deeper. And when I thought that it was over, there was more. And it, again, isn't about the story or what happened. It was about how I held it, how I integrated it, how I brought myself back to life in spite of, because of. How, you know, we all have stories and they're all different and they're all worthy. And we aren't our stories. But I never, ever, ever once questioned why me. I knew somehow deep in my knowing, I knew that I was strong enough to carry this pain, this fucking pain. One pain after the next, after the next, the most painful that this little body carried. I was strong enough to carry it. And then I had to find the softness to let it all go. And that takes time. It took time. Healing takes time. It wasn't overnight. It's a journey. Learning yourself is a journey. Loving yourself is a journey. For me, it was a major journey. And then I realized it was no coincidence that I started Box and Flow that I created the hero's journey in a fitness concept. Nine rounds on a heavy bag. No breaks, no breaks in life. The only thing that mattered was don't drop your hands. It wasn't about form, perfection. There were no mirrors in the space, not how you looked, but how you felt. Bringing yourself back to life, punch by punch. Finding the flow, finding the ease, finding the love, finding the the dance through the fire. Nine rounds, nine lives. And then that peace, that celebration, when the fight becomes flow, when the gloves come off, when... You find your yoga mat, your heartbeat, your breath, and you're like, holy shit, I did that. That's my power. That's my presence. That's this moment. So that's what I did. I kept fighting. Every medicine journey I walked in, it kept getting darker and uglier and more painful. Oh, pulling up more trauma, more unbelievable memory that I didn't ever want to believe to be true. And I held it. And I didn't let it hold me. I took my power back. I turned my pain into power. I kept going. It was a wild ride. And through the past few years, as I've shared, I've shared so openly about every detail. And when I think about it, it's 
It's actually hard to believe that I shared so openly. And similarly, it was my therapy. Writing was my therapy. Writing was how I moved through the pain. And it was also in a way how I dissociated from it because how could anybody hold on to that? Letting it go was me literally letting it go. So from Box and Flow, from fitness, found Box and Flow. I created the concept to help others heal how I was healing. I didn't know what I was healing until I did. I found psychedelics where I was led. God led me to psychedelics so that I could now understand what I was fighting. Because I was showing up like, you know, move, do this, strength, courage, without any basis to why I was coaching people. And so then I learned what I, why I was coaching people for three years. And in that journey, I was led to Austin. I didn't know why I came to Austin, but something in me was like, move to Austin. It's like, okay. So I moved to Austin. And that's where I found the healers and the medicine and the opportunities. I really came here to heal, to be held. I needed this warm hug, this cocoon, away from what I knew in New York and what knew me in New York, away from who I knew in Miami or what was, you know, normal or comfortable for me in Miami. I needed to go somewhere different so that I could reclaim myself, reclaim my story, rewrite my story. Three years of deep soul work to not just heal my mind, but also heal my heart and heal my body. I found functional medicine to really uproot like all of the systems that were no longer working because I was living in fight or flight most of my life. So my hormonal system, the cortisol that was through the roof, the thyroid, the oh, all of it. Because I was running on empty for so long, but that was normal to me. I was operating like a machine for so long because I was a machine. It didn't matter how I felt in my past. I just kept going, I just kept going. No one could stop me. No one could hurt me. I just kept going. Because that's what a warrior does. Until a warrior realized that, realizes it, that its strength is its heart. So functional medicine and then somatic work to really get into the muscles and the fascia of my body to unlock the stories that I was holding in my cells. It's a wonderful book called The Body Keeps the Score. If you haven't read it and this is interesting, go read it. There's also a book called The Myth of Normal by Gabor Mate that is a wonderful book about trauma. Read it. So in that, I uprooted my systems, functional medicine, psychedelic assisted therapy, movement, meditation, breath work, cold plunge, anything to change the state. I did all of it. Somatic work. And I also shared very intimately about my past relationship. I wrote intimacy diaries trying to understand what I was feeling in this lens of intimacy because relationships really are our greatest teachers. Our partners can provide mirrors for us us into ourselves. And so I shared that openly too because I needed to understand what it meant to be in an intimate relationship, to be in partnership. And what I learned more than anything was that it's really hard to define love because love is a product of how we see ourselves. Love begins within. 
So everything I was triggered by in my former relationship and partnership by him, it was the unworthy I was seeing in myself just projecting upon him. All of the demons that I was facing in my own life, in so many ways I was projecting on him because of my lack. And so when I went through that relationship for a year and a half and we lived together and I'd never lived with someone before and I was working through all of this trauma, uprooting it and integrating it while I was in relationship, which is really close to impossible. Because it was the first time I was learning to trust a man, really trust a man with a clearer or clearer lens of knowing that I had trauma, knowing that I had triggers against the masculine, knowing that I had been assaulted so many times by so many men. And in so many ways, he represented the masculine and he was the closest thing to that for me. And so often I lashed out at him. And it was never about him. It was about my growth, my healing, my knowing. Because he did the best he could with the tools he had to hold me. Was he perfect? No. Hell no. We both did a lot of fucked up things to one another. Um, And there was a lot of love there. And still it was was really just a reflection of my own inner darkness. So if you read my intimacy diaries, they were profound. They are profound. Um really learning to love myself, really learning to feel safe in physical intimacy with a man, with my body, without dissociating. And all the trust issues that came with that. And all of his, you know, own shit showing up and me feeling safe, unsafe, la-di-da. And at some point, I knew I had to leave. And I had to leave the codependency, the enmeshment, the inadequacy, all of the projections of what I thought in my, in my mind, what a relationship was meant to be, what a man was supposed to be. And I didn't support him in that either. Like I emasculated him in a lot of ways because I wasn't fully in my feminine. I wasn't in full surrender because I didn't feel safe to be in full surrender because our polarity was uneven because our journeys were interconnected in so many ways to heal to grow to teach each other and similarly they were um star-crossed there were deep challenges for us to work through and i always say that if you're not growing together you're growing apart and at some point we grew apart we couldn't hold the intensity of what each of us was experiencing and i was open sharing so openly without shame because I was healing that shame and I think that put a lot of pressure on our relationship because um, it wasn't necessarily reciprocated in that openness so that was really tough and at some point I decided I need to leave to go heal myself I need to go leave to go figure this out I need to go leave to make sense of this journey that I am on Before I can fully commit to another, I need to fully commit to myself. Back to learn yourself, to love yourself, to live young, to bring yourself back to life, to live. And before I left, I had this really wild medicine journey. He held space for me at home. And I went into a rebirthing. I went into energetic labor, literally howling like a cow, a cat, uh, a human in birth, in labor, legs spread wide for hours sweating, screaming, breathing from the depths of my lungs, feeling this like 
wild experience of going into labor. And the medicine, God, spirit, my knowing said to me, Olivia, you have to bring yourself back to life first before you bring life into this world. And that's when I knew that I had work to do, more work to do. And within a few days, I woke up from a very intense dream that said, the only reason you're still here, because I have really experienced very violent trauma, the only reason you're still here, Olivia, is so that you can hold other people in their pain so they feel less alone. And in that dream, I saw my body being lifted up out of dark alleys, the back of a cab, really, really violent places where I could have just been left for dead, shower. But something much greater than me decided that I had something bigger to do, that I had more to um, serve. And so with that message, it was like, okay, now I know my purpose. I am here to remind people that they are not alone in their pain, that they are worthy of their pain and They can bring themselves back to life, but they have to learn themselves first. They have to face their darkness to free their light, learn themselves to love themselves, to bring them back here. But before you can teach, you have to learn. And so I kept walking the path of learning what that meant. So I left that relationship. I left on the blood moon eclipse. I left on November 11, 22, leaving him. It wasn't easy, but I knew I had to. I knew I had to trust that there was more work for me to do and I could no longer do it in relationship. And so I walked away from love. I walked away so that I could learn to love myself because I don't believe we can love another until we really understand ourselves. And we can do that in relationship, no doubt. You don't have to be alone to heal, but what I've learned is the only thing I can do is work on me and the only thing you can do is work on you. And then together we can work on ourselves in relationship, but I couldn't do that any longer. So I left, I moved out. But I didn't actually acknowledge the amount of grief that would come with that ending. Leaving him cracked my heart open more than I could ever describe. This painful eruption of, is this the right thing? This painful experience of loneliness that I lost my best friend. But the most painful part of it was realizing that I had actually never opened up fully to love that I'd kept space between us because I didn't feel worthy of the love that he was offering. Even if it didn't look like I wanted it to look, even if it, he wasn't necessarily who I wanted him to be, it wasn't about him, it was about me. That my heart was still holding on. It was still caged because of all of my past experiences that I was still not fully open to receiving love. And that allowed me to grieve, facing that truth, that pain, that reality. And that grief allowed me to feel the grief of other people in my life that I've lost, that I might lose, that I will lose, 
the grief of the former versions of me that I lost, that never fully lived because of the trauma I experienced, the hardening, and that grief cracked me in a million pieces. And that led me to grow. Because in the grief, I found myself at this bottom on my knees, praying. The grief is the growth. The grit is the grace. Please, God. Please, God, there has to be a reason for this. There has to be a reason for this. Like believing in this higher power holding me. I would wake up in the middle of the night with these visions, as above, so below, as above, so below. Father sky, mother earth, hold me, carry me, angels. Like these visions of resurrection, of new life. My body, like feeling this deep hunger as if I was coming back into this vessel that was carrying me, feeling all of these sensations. It was if I had to die to be reborn again into the same body, but with newfound sensation. It was if I was freeing myself from the frozen that I had been living in all my life so that I could feel the pain to feel the love, so I could face the anger and the hurt and the abandonment and the trauma and the unworthy and the inadequacy so I could feel myself, see myself, find myself in love again with me first. And so in that space, I found God, I found spirit, I found Pachamama, Mother Earth. I found gratitude for every moment, for the breath, for the food, for the bed, for the air, for the earth. I chose to not date for seven months, eight months, became completely celibate except in my own practice of getting into my body and my root chakra. I cleaned up my habits. I didn't go chase the next guy to make me feel worthy. I had to build that from the ground up, finding my worth within myself, not putting on something pretty and making myself presentable so someone would like me. I sat in my darkness so I could find my light. I didn't go back to the defaults, the drinking to numb, the scrolling to you know, get the positive affirmation, the sexting, the swiping, the, all of it. The coping mechanisms, the stuffing myself or starving myself, the sweating till I was empty. No, I, I found my balance within myself. I found my boundaries. I found my feet. I found my yes when I meant yes and no when I didn't. I found my spine. I started integrating into my body, re-inhabiting this vessel, feeling my heartbeat, feeling my hunger, trusting my intuition, letting myself grieve, opening my heart, using my voice. I started singing, not professionally, but just playing. My throat chakra. Really stepping into this new version of myself who no longer came from a place of need. Instead owned her place of have. Fully. No longer needed to prove that I was worthy because I knew in my being 
that I just am. Not because of a resume, because of a man, because of a plan, because of, you know, pretty, because I am. So are you. So that grief led to growth, led to God. God being all-encompassing, ever-flowing. God is air, God is life, God is love. Led me to church, I'm Jewish. Finding this collective healing, recognizing that people pray because of the pain they're carrying, but they believe in hope, they believe in something greater. God is hope, God is love, God is prayer, God is air. God is you, God is me, in us, with us, for us. That belief in a higher power that you are here because you are, and you are held by this earth, by Pachamama, by Mother Earth, by Father Sky, by God, by you first. You are worthy because you are. And as I fueled myself up with so much love in this great belief, in this knowing, I found myself forgiving those who had hurt me most, my perpetrators. I would sit at my altar and pray, meditation, journal, pray, love letters to God every day, pray, pray. I would fill myself up with so much love and start writing love lists, people who I just felt I needed to send love to, send love to, send love to. And as I sat in that ceremony, I'd write down these names, people from faraway places. And when I was younger and, and, and all of this randomness, whomever came to me. And at some point, perpetrators' names came to me and I was like, could this be? Am I really ready to forgive someone I thought I could never forgive? And the answer was yes. Because the only thing that can alchemize pain is love. And with so much love in me, I could let go of the energy that was still sucking from me, that pain. And so I forgave it, and I forgave him, 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 and I forgave myself. And in this practice of stillness, of prayer, of divinity, of alignment, of journaling, of meditating, of self-trusting, I got another download and it said, go get your vibrator. I was like, what? <sighs> and I was led into this other practice of using this vibration, not in me, but on me as like two sides of this key to unlock the energy centers in my body, my crown chakra, my third eye between my eyes, my throat, my heart, my root, my sacrum, my solar plexus to literally loosen the stuck energy in all of these parts of my body. I found myself in like an any ceremony, eye mask on with my crystals, literally being able to uproot stuck energy names of people, places, feelings that were in my energetic body, in my physicality. Like I said, the body keeps the score. So in this practice, not a pleasure practice per se, but this intuitive like chakra tuning to release the stale and stuck energy from my body, I found the key. Like the doors of my studio said, 
everything you need is inside. I found answers to questions. I remembered people's names. I remembered moments. I took my power back. I rewrote the script of the story of times that I was frozen in my body and I couldn't fight back. Using this tool, I was able to change the story, to get up and fight back, to reclaim my sovereignty, to own my power. I found the key. So in this journey, I've curated so many tools of learning myself, to love myself, to bring myself back to life. Stillness, meditation, journal, prayer. This key, chakra tuning, movement, sweat as a release. I talk a lot about colonics, enemas to clear the gut. You want to be this energetic being, this conduit. We can if there's stuck energy or even like there's a fullness, a heaviness. So enemas, colonics to clear the gut. The key, orgasm to, you know, loosen up the root chakra, vibration. Release. Using the voice, release. Plant medicine to clear the mind. Almost like this holy trinity, mind, body, spirit. The tools to clear the mind. Meditation, clears tools to clear the heart, journal, prayer, body, movement, enema, orgasm. <laughs> you know, it sounds a little bit wild, but it's not. We are energetic beings. These are just meat suits, costumes that we're, we're disguising ourselves in. But it's the energy that dictates our experiences. So we have to clean and clear the energy. So these are the tools, clean and clear, clean and clear, clean and clear, to bring ourselves back to life, to feel more alive. And so I did all of that journey, journey, through the hero's journey, nine rounds on the bag, nine lives. Whew. And I thought I was free. I felt free. I felt brilliant. I was healing all my old relationships. And then there was a final shot to the heart. I'm not going to go into, but it was this final reminder that the only thing that matters at the end of the day is that you have your own back. The only one that can do it is you. The only one that can show up for you is you. doesn't matter what you're fighting, what your challenge is, big, little, whatever. Years of sub subconscious suppressed trauma, maybe you know losing a loved one, a pet, maybe just having low self-esteem, whatever. The only one that can overcome that is you. And so this shot to the heart, shot to the gut, this curveball I never saw coming, it was almost like, and I shouldn't say this because I don't want to jinx myself, but it was almost like the final test in this hero's journey of can you, will you keep going? And in this test, I'll tell you that it was the greatest test for me because of all the work I had done, of all the tools I had acquired, this was the one that tested it all. This is the one that I found myself in such darkness that I considered all my former coping mechanisms revisiting that painful return to all the things I've done in the past to hurt myself not help myself so 
like go the, the, the desire to have a drink at the end of the day go have a drink I'm not judging it but for me it's a way for to dissociate it numbs me and I was thinking about it you know the even the thought of like binging and purging so point being, I revisited the notion, the thought of going back to these dark places because what I was faced with was so shockingly painful. And you know how I knew that I grew was because not only did I not go back to any of these coping mechanisms, but I didn't question my integrity. I stood firm. So what's coming will come, but I held it. No matter what, I held the faith in me that I got this. It doesn't matter if nobody, you know, if everyone abandoned me at the end of the day, I worked to this point to heal myself to this place so that I had my own back. I have my own back. Whew. So that's what I learned. No one can do it for you. But you have to be willing to show up to do the work, to learn yourself, all the darkness, that shadow stuff, the stuff that we pick about in other people, the stuff that we judge in others because we're not willing to own it in ourselves. That's the shadow. Be willing to look in that darkness, to learn yourself, your habits, your patterns, your coping mechanisms, the things that you hide, that you're not proud of, the things that bring you shame, the things that bring you pain. You have to learn that. Because if you don't learn that, if you don't face your darkness, you can't free your light. If you don't sit in your pain, in your fear, with your anxiety, then how can you like bask, stand in your love, in your livelihood? This idea of being alive it's not the same as existing. It's not autopilot. It's not going through the motions. It's not being fine. It's about being fully embodied, fully alive, alive. Feeling the sun on your face, the feet on the ground, the wind in your hair, the sense of awe, this childlike engagement and everything is magic and nothing is promised. This knowing that there is something greater holding you. This trusting, this surrendering, and this receiving life in real time. It is so fucking beautiful. If you allow yourself to feel it, to be it. But to allow yourself to feel it, to be it, to live it. You have to be willing to face what is prohibiting you from that aliveness. So it's been a journey to die over and over again to bring myself back to life. And I wouldn't change it. I wouldn't change a thing. It was so painful. But it brought me here. And so did divinity and so did God and so did Mother Pachamama for holding me. Step by step, just kept going. So can you. So can you, so can you, so can you. Whatever you're facing, face it. If I can be helpful, let me know. This work is the most profound work you can do because it is only for you. 
And because it is for you, it will then reflect in everything you do. Your work, your relationships, your life, your love. That is what we're here for, to be alive fully. And the spectrum of life is all of it, all of the emotion, all of the pain, all of the pleasure, all of the beauty. There's no sweet without the sour. There's no pleasure without the pain. All of it. And it is so fucking beautiful if you allow yourself to taste from that fountain of life. So, as I reintroduce this podcast, Live Young, and the program to learn you to, to love you, to live young, using all of these tools, I welcome you to listen, to share, to love, to live, to learn. Questions, DM me at Live Young. People that you want to hear from, DM me. Would love to welcome you to this journey that is life, that isn't just pretty. It isn't just the perfect Instagram moment. It is all of it. The pleasure, the pain, the sweet, the sour, the dark, the light, the fight, the flow. It's about finding the ease through the resistance, learning to dance. That's what I'm here for. That's what you're here for too. So thanks for uh, following along. Thanks for being part of this journey. Thanks for showing up for you. For being willing to learn, to recognize what's potentially in you that's not working and where you can heal it. There's lots of tools, as I said, you know, working with our inner child, reparenting ourselves, learning our, our habits, our tendencies, our people pleasers, building boundaries so we can support ourselves better, learning how to say no, all of that. And at the end of the day, I'll go back to what I said. The only thing that matters rather it's not the only thing that matters the most important thing is that you never ever ever give up on you that you're the fighter in the ring and when all else fails that you know that no matter what you're going to show up you're never going to drop your hands and at some point the dark becomes light the fight becomes slow you start to dance life in real time. But you have to commit to always having your own back, to not abandoning the parts of you that you feel shame around. Instead, integrating those parts of you because those parts of you need you too. Because they're there for a reason to teach you You are strong enough to carry it and soft enough to let it go. To find the flow. I love you. If no one today has told you how fucking magnificent you are, here's your reminder. And if this could be helpful to anybody, please share the episode, rate, review, iTunes, Spotify, all of it. I'm on a mission to hold people in their pain so that they can feel their power, so they can remember their love, so they can learn to live. And that's all I got. Everything you need is inside. Don't forget it.